This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. Now, I know it's been a minute since we last spoke about my pals at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and the sprawling case they're building against Donald J. Trump. While it can feel as if they're moving at a maddeningly glacial pace, especially as Trump continues to undermine democracy at every turn, keep in mind that Cy Vance has only had Trump's tax records in hand since the end of February. The breaking news just into CNN, a major decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. We've learned the Supreme Court has now allowed the release of the former President Trump's tax returns to a New York prosecutor now investigating his businesses. And in those five months, Vance and his team of no-nonsense prosecutors, led by the hard-charging Mark Pomerantz, have mapped out decades of criminality at the Trump Organization. The New York State Attorney General has now joined the Manhattan prosecutor's criminal investigation into Donald Trump's businesses. Tonight, the New York AG issued a statement that reads, quote, we have informed the Trump Organization that our investigation into the organization is no longer purely civil in nature. We are now actively investigating the Trump Organization in a criminal capacity, along with the Manhattan DA. But the first thing they teach you in law school is that it doesn't matter what you know. We all know Trump is fucking guilty. It's what you can prove. And it's that search for proof, the receipts to back it all up, that takes a long time. The wheels of justice may turn slowly, but they nevertheless continue to turn. Here's where things stand today. The New York DA's probe into the Trump Organization has just hit a new high. Now, on the one hand, it's been going for years. The DA won the Supreme Court battle for Trump's taxes, then impaneled a grand jury, then summoned a key financial witness before that grand jury. But now the new high is moving towards a potentially key indictment as soon as this summer, according to that major report in the New York Times that picks up on the big name in the case. Alan Weisselberg. He's the chief financial officer of the Trump Organization. Alan Weisselberg. Alan Weisselberg. Alan Weisselberg was everything to that organization. But always Alan Weisselberg on the check. I think that all roads lead to Alan Weisselberg. The gatekeeper for every penny that came in and went out. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office appears to have entered the final stages of a criminal tax investigation into Trump's long-serving chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, setting up the possibility he could face charges this summer. A grand jury has been hearing evidence about Mr. Weisselberg. We know that the prosecutors in Mr. Vance's office have really obtained a full picture of his financial situation. Uh, They've gotten his personal tax returns. What it looks like is that they're finding out kind of everything they can find out about Mr. Weisselberg. And so the stage that they've reached, the evidence that they're hearing in the grand jury, just gives us that confidence to be able to report that. In recent weeks, a grand jury has heard damning evidence about Weisselberg, who is facing intense scrutiny from prosecutors as they seek his cooperation with a broader investigation into Trump and the Trump Organization. The prosecutors have obtained Mr. Weisselberg's personal tax returns, as well as those of his sons, painting the fullest picture yet of Weisselberg's decades of loyal service to Donald Trump. The pressure now is for Weisselberg to flip or face the absolute maximum penalty on a variety of charges. The final goal of the DA is clear. Put enough heat on Weisselberg with a credible fear or outcome that he or even his family would go to prison. And then that 
is supposed to make him flip on Trump. The investigation into Mr. Weisselberg focuses partly on whether he failed to pay taxes on valuable benefits provided to him and his family by Trump, including apartments and leased cars, as well as tens of thousands of dollars in private school tuition for at least one of his grandchildren. For months, prosecutors have sought to pressure Weisselberg into cooperating with their investigation into Trump, and any deal could turn the trusted executive into a star witness against the former president. The district attorney's office recently questioned Weisselberg's top lieutenant, Trump Organization controller Jeffrey McConney, before a special grand jury hearing evidence in the Trump inquiry. The reality is there's nothing there to, you know, there's nothing there to turn on. There's that we've run a great company, we have incredible assets, we're doing well despite all of this extra nonsense. Uh, you know, that's the reality of it. It's not like there's something there that's hidden. So, uh, you know, they're they going to do what they're going to do. They're going to put as much pain as they can on anyone in our uh, in our hemisphere. That's what they've done. That's their history. And that's all it is. And that's the problem. I mean, when you have these sort of political witch hunts, uh, they can use taxpayer funds to try to hunt down Donald Trump, to try to pressure people that have worked with him, to try to destroy their lives so that they can get some sort of, uh, you know, win instead of focusing on i don't know the rising murder rate in new york the fact that people are and companies are fleeing in droves because of the asinine policies uh, that these politicians have put the crime rate skyrocketing uh they don't spend taxpayer dollars on that they do this in a taxpayer funded witch hunt to try to hurt their political enemies the trumps have long been able to count on mr weisselberg's fealty after beginning his career working for mr trump's father fred Alan Weisselberg has served as the Trump Organization's financial gatekeeper for more than two decades. But I know Alan well. The man is not made of stone, and if given a choice between prison and Trump, Weisselberg will sing like a fucking canary. Too many people in that company watched what Trump did to me, and they know loyalty only goes one way with Trump. That's his way, not yours. So, anyone with any legal skin in the game at the moment is likely weighing how useful they can be to the prosecution. For Trump, it means the walls continue to close in as he watches the careful scaffolding he placed around himself disintegrate before his eyes. The Trump Organization, we know, is under criminal investigation by that same office fictionalized in Batman, by the New York DA. And it has also already tapped a mob prosecutor, hint, Rico, to work the case. Now, RICO is a federal law, but New York has a similar tool for busting corrupt organizations. Some call it Little RICO. Prosecutors like it because it can be triggered by the relatively little requirement of three crimes, but carry a big prison sentence up to 25 years. Now, you have to prove a pattern of criminal activity, not just a single crime. But we have reports the DA is probing evidence of bank fraud, of financial deceit, tax fraud, and D.A. Cy Vance is the only person to actually get Trump's tax returns, so he can now compare them to test any lies or inflated values for Trump properties. Facing the prospect of his own indictment coming sooner rather than later, Trump is desperately trying to insert himself back into the national conversation. Not only does he miss the adulation of the crowds, but he desperately needs money to pour back into his coffers. In addition, he plans to fight his indictment in the same way he fought back against the impeachment, by casting the charges as a political witch hunt. This means the MAGA reunion tour 2021 will be coming to a county fairgrounds near you sometime soon. 
Expect Trump's greatest hits with an extra dose of grievance and all the election lies that you can eat. This is all taking place as he is facing the prospect of an indictment in Manhattan from the Manhattan District Attorney. We know that uh, there could be charges against uh, his chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, in the coming weeks. We know that there is a question about whether Donald Trump himself or anyone else at the company could get charged. And so I think when you look at how he's talking about his political future, A, I was struck that he didn't say anything about, you know, the unfair election the way that he has before in that interview, unfair being his word, not mine. Um, But also I think that it is... He is missing a level of protection that he felt like he had when he was in the White House. Some kind of, if not actual full immunity, some level of a belief that people were not going to charge a sitting president. I think that he is talking about keeping his political options alive because he sees it in part as a shield against what could be coming. As Trump revs up his touring machine, the GOP continues to support the former president with the fervor of a cult. The mission is now shifted, though. Looking towards 2022 and beyond, the GOP, unable to rid itself of Trump, is now firmly vested in whitewashing his record to the American people. The truth is being censored and covered up. As a result, the DOJ is harassing harassing peaceful patriots across the country. It was Trump supporters who lost their lives that day, uh, not Trump supporters who were taking the lives of others. So was January 6th an insurrection or could it be more accurately described as a mob of misfits? There was no insurrection and to call it an insurrection, in my opinion, is a bold-faced lie. If you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy engineered the GOP's latest bit of gymnastics on Thursday by criticizing President Joe Biden's conduct in his summit with Vladimir Putin in Geneva on Wednesday. The California Republican criticized Biden for failing to stand up for U.S. national interests and not making clear the U.S. will hold Russia accountable for its long list of transgressions. President Biden gave Vladimir Putin a pass, McCarthy wrote in a statement. His main point was that Biden failed to make Moscow pay a price for a string of ransomware attacks on U.S. infrastructure believed to originate on Russian soil. Right, as if Trump didn't prostrate himself before Putin like a teenage fanboy the last time they met in Helsinki. Nor did McCarthy mention the two separate intelligence operations by Russia to meddle in U.S. elections to help Trump win. Nor did he mention Trump's notorious press conference in Helsinki when the then-president threw U.S. spy agencies under the bus on live television and embraced the denials of Putin, a former KGB officer, on election interference. Trump's former top Russia advisor, Fiona Hill, told CNN last week that she considered faking a medical emergency to stop the fucking press conference in 2018 since it was so damaging to U.S. interests. The entire world seeing firsthand how weak, how frail, how confused. I don't know what to even tell you that he's trying to say here. Most importantly, we have a lot of good things to talk about and things to talk about. was asked if he trusted Putin, and he said yes. How could you trust a former KGB agent? I have uh, President Putin. Uh, He just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. Got completely confused mid-sentence during a meeting. In a key sentence in my remarks, I said the word would instead of wouldn't. Everybody's getting along, and that's what his goal is. 
consensus, everyone to get along. It's not about what America, what's best for America. Getting along with Russia is a good thing, not a bad thing. And I really think the world wants to see us uh, get along. Trump, always his own biggest fan, weighed in on himself on Wednesday with one of his favorite interviewers, Fox's Sean Hannity, assailing Biden's handling of the summit. And I quote, We did not get anything. We gave a very big stage to Russia, and we got nothing, Trump said, highlighting his own tendency to view diplomacy as a sequence of photo ops with him as the star by slamming Biden's performance art and saying it was a good day for Russia. I got along really well with him. Uh, Nobody was tougher in Russia. He would say that, but nobody was tougher in Russia. You never heard of uh, Nord Stream. You never heard of all of the things that we did in terms of sanctions, so many sanctions. And I would I was loving the idea of taking them off. I would have loved to have taken them off as soon as they got their act together. I think we had, a, you know, a great shot at having an unbelievable relationship with Russia. Uh, it could have been fantastic. It could have been really beneficial to both countries. You know, they need economics and we need things that they have where they have very valuable land in terms of mineral rights and many other things. And a lot of good things could have happened. I had a very good relationship with Putin, but nobody treated him tougher. Worse than Putin this week in the revisionist Olympics being conducted by Republicans was their refusal to acknowledge the heroism of the law enforcement officers who defended the Capitol on January 6th from a Trump incited angry mob. 21 GOP House members voted against distributing the Congressional Gold Medal to those who protected them against the insurrection that day. Almost six months since the insurrection at the Capitol, the House and Senate coming to an agreement that will award the Congressional Gold Medal to the officers who defended the building. Seems like a layup, but not for 21 House Republicans. They just voted against it. These Republicans who find themselves in a pickle How do you honor the heroics of the police in an event that you deny, despite the facts, the video, the witnesses, and the accounts of the police who were there protecting them? These lawmakers who usually wrap themselves in blue are now proudly showing their yellow. The fact that some Republican lawmakers are now actively denying the heroism of officers who defended them from the insurrectionists is fucking unfathomable. And by refusing to probe the invasion, and by actively misrepresenting Trump's incitement of a mob attack on January 6th, his allies are trying to cleanse his reputation as he eyes a comeback. We support the police where we utilize every resource available to ensure that they're responsive to their communities and the overwhelming number of people who wear that uniform, whether it's in our law enforcement or in our National Guard, they do it because they love America. The fury that led to the sickening assault on Congress was brewed by Trump's baseless lies about election fraud, which continued to wreak havoc on American democracy by inspiring restrictive voting bills in various states. The former president dictated the new narrative himself in a political appearance in North Carolina earlier this month with the most fucking outrageous lie so far in his post-presidency. And I quote, Remember, I am not the one trying to undermine American democracy. I'm the one that's trying to save it. The Republican effort to cover up the truth of Trump's attempt to disrupt the certification of Biden's victory started within hours of the Capitol insurrection. 
It has now reached absurd but also dangerous lengths. Multiple Republicans have said the militant anti-fascist group Antifa is to blame rather than the former president's supporters in their fucking MAGA hats waving Trump flags. Georgia Representative Andrew Clyde, a Republican freshman, claimed the mob scenes were just a normal tourist visit. Meanwhile, several GOP lawmakers who idolized Trump, including Representative Matt Gates of Florida and Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, have amplified a baseless conspiracy theory highlighted by Fox News opinion host Tucker Carlson that the Capitol riot was orchestrated, yeah, get a load of this, by the fucking FBI. So FBI operatives were organizing the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, according to government documents. We've learned just today through MSNBC and NBC News reporting that at least one of the defendants in the January 6th case has been asked by FBI agents, do you know anyone in Congress? And so now when you put those two things together, there's some interest in the GOP and Congress spreading this disinformation that it was the FBI who did all of this on January 6th. Why? Because just maybe, just maybe, the FBI's looking at them. A DC Metropolitan Police officer who was stun gunned and beaten as he tried to defend the Capitol on January 6th said that Clyde had refused to shake his hand when they met in the Capitol this week. But Michael Fanone vowed not to stop debunking GOP historical revisionism over the attack. Your words have consequences, Congressman Fanone said on CNN's New Day last Thursday. You're lying about what happened on January 6th, and I'm going to be there to confront anyone who lies about January 6th. Fanone spoke out as the Justice Department released horrifying new footage of the attack on the Capitol. New this morning, the first sentencing is set to happen soon in the January 6th insurrection as the Justice Department releases new video of the attack. It is being used in the case against Thomas Webster, a former New York City police officer. What patriots do? We get disarm them, and then we storm the Capitol. One sequence shows one accused rioter, Thomas Webster, among a large crowd of Trump fans threatening wielding a flagpole and finally rushing at officers who engaged in hand-to-hand combat with him and other members of the mob. There's gonna be a revival tonight. Everybody's gonna jump the shout and throw the gun down. All your sisters and your brothers bring all of us out into the light. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa has spent the past 40 years at the forefront of democratic politics as the campaign manager for a host of progressive political candidates. Since 1980, Joe Trippi has run the campaigns for everyone from Jerry Brown to Howard Dean, inventing the modern grassroots political campaign in the process. In 2004, as the national campaign manager for Howard Dean's presidential campaign, Trippi pioneered the use of online technology to organize what became the largest grassroots movement in presidential politics. 
Through his innovative use of the internet for small donor fundraising, Dean for America raised more money than any Democratic presidential campaign to that point, all with donations averaging less than $100. According to The Atlantic magazine, Trippy's influence on Democratic Party politics has been profound and lasting. The small-dollar internet donor base attracted by Dean and flogged relentlessly by Trippy has transformed the party's fundraising. Every single campaign uses Trippy-patented tactics to raise money. The men and women Joe Trippy cultivated in Dean's staff have stormed the gates and occupied positions of power in major party and campaign offices. Most recently, Trippy was a senior strategist on Doug Jones' historic victory in Alabama, helping elect the first Democrat U.S. Senator in Alabama in 25 years, and later helped engineer a number of groundbreaking House victories for Representatives Ro Khanna, Tulsi Gabbard, Mark Takano, and Seth Moulton. Nowadays, Trippy is the host of That Trippy Show, a podcast from Project Lincoln where he weighs in on modern campaigning, government, and the chaotic shit show that defines the modern GOP. He joins Maya Culpa as the GOP attempts to rewrite history and force an authoritarian regime on the American people. Trippy has been outspoken about the need to respond forcefully to the GOP's politics of nihilism by rejecting compromise and pushing a bold progressive agenda. Not long ago, he predicted the end of the two-party system based on the rise of social media and the small-dollar donation. He was only too right, unfortunately. The wrong people took advantage of the process and now threaten our entire democratic system. So let's listen now to that conversation. So Joe, you recently tweeted a quote from a Michael Tomaski piece in The New Republic that sums up my state of mind as well. And a quote, how do you explain to the American people that the other party is a mortal threat to democracy when you just struck a deal with them, making it look to people who don't pay a lot of attention, which is most people, like everything's normal? Can you unpack for me what you think he meant and how you would advise these same leaders to do it differently? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the whole problem. The whole all of us, everybody has been stuck in this, you know, two party. We grew up in it. Two parties, Republicans, Democrats. We see everything as Democrats versus Republicans, liberals versus conservatives. And we and the language we use, let's we got to reach across party lines and we got to come together and uh, and reach across the aisle and find common ground um, that those are all ideas that we all want and believe. The problem is we're not this isn't Democrats versus Republicans. It's not liberals versus conservatives. It's an authoritarian movement versus all of us. Um and so that's the problem here at, at, on what to govern, to get two or three more votes. Uh, you've got to try to reach across the aisle. I mean, if, if you're Joe Biden or Joe Manchin at the same time to, to and there will be people in marginal districts out there who have to try to pull over some folks um, by talking in terms of bipartisanship and reaching across the aisle. But the threat, the real threat uh, in 2022 uh, in 2024 is an authoritarian movement um, that wants power by any means 
And that's not left, right. That's not Democrat versus Republican. That's that's all of us who want to preserve our democracy and defend it um, as guardians of our democracy, working together, even if it's a temporary coalition, even if it's, you know, uh, 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 different members of the Republican Party and Democrats all coming together to take it on. That's what we need to do, I think. Well, let's not forget, though, this is not black versus white right. civil war. This isn't Republican versus Democrat, something right. that I've seen you know, for the past you know, 50 plus years. Um, this is Trumpers versus non-Trumpers. This is an ideology that none of us have ever seen before. I've said it on this podcast many, many times, and I'm going to say it again because it's just so relevant. Donald Trump did not want to win this election. This was started to be the greatest infomercial in the history of politics. And I know I say it often, but I really want my listeners to allow it to soak in and to be able to use that line when they're speaking to the Trumpers out there or the people that are still even just on the fence. The man did not want to be the president of the United States, plain and simple. This was a branding stunt that we decided to do in 2015 after, of course, you may remember the 2011-2012 fake run that Donald was going to do against Barack Obama, knowing he was going to get his ass kicked in something fierce. He backed out claiming we had just purchased the Doral and uh, he had the one in Scotland and one in Ireland. And he didn't believe that the kids, meaning Don, Ivanka and Eric, would be capable of handling these projects. And he used that, of course, along with The Apprentice. uh, He used that as a means not to enter the race. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Say it with us. Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer-lasting erections. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablet helped men achieve harder, stronger erections to combat all forms of erectile dysfunction. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problem here. Blue Chew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the United States of America, and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use your promo code COIN at checkout. Just pay $5 in shipping. That's BlueChew.com promo code COIN to receive your first month free. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring this podcast. 
the second part of the question that I asked you, Joe, was how would you advise these same leaders to do it differently in terms of, you know, expressing to them that things are not normal, that our democracy right now is in is in threat and serious threat because he wanted to make this country into an autocracy. And people have no idea. You know, they see the numbers of the electoral vote. Uh, and it's a big margin. It's the same margin that he beat um, Hillary Clinton at. But what they don't realize is that three of those states was less than 50,000 votes. Yep. And had 50,000 votes gone the other way, the numbers would have swung back to the way they were with Hillary Clinton. And right now, Trump would be looking to figure out how his Supreme Court, how his nominees would be in a position to change our Constitution, making Trump basically yeah. the president for life. Yeah, no, it, it's it, it, people do not understand how fragile uh, and on the edge our democracy is 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 teetering right now. And I think uh, a big part of that, you know, Stuart Stevens over at the Lincoln Project um says it's and I think this is a problem for both elected officials and a, a majority of the American people is that he said we lack the imagination to fully comprehend how far Trump and the movement that he foments is willing to go. In other, in other words, these same people who didn't think he could get elected in 2016, why? They lacked the imagination to believe that was possible. Then he gets elected. January 6th happens, you know, all the stuff that's happened, January 6th happens, but we lack the imagination to see January 6th happening. Then have January 6th happening, happens, they still lack the imagination to comprehend in 2022 and 2024 how fragile the democracy is and how immediate and urgent the fight against it must be. To, uh, and it's to call it out, to, to hold no quarter, to, you can't like corporations cannot say, hey, we we're not going to give to the 139 uh, members of Congress uh, in the House who voted against uh, 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 the, certifying the election results and overturning the election results uh, and overturning Joe Biden's election. We're not going to give to them. And then two months later, start giving to them uh, because going back into the it's too, we're, we're a corporation. We play both sides. We give people on both sides money. No, no. We got to call them out. It's not just them. Our elected leaders have to understand this. It's not just reaching across the aisle. There's no one over there. I, I keep saying Manchin thinks that if you believe that you can get 10 votes out of the Senate to pass your Voting Rights Act or whatever, you know, or whatever the bill is, uh, you you believe that you can negotiate with hostages, there, you're not negotiating with a hostage. You're not negotiating with a hostage taker. You're negotiating with hostages, right? Even Romney is a hostage, right? He, there's only so far he's willing to go against the forces of Trump. And I mean, and here's somebody who has he's been willing to. I don't mean that he deserves credit for that. I'm just saying there everybody in that Senate right now is a hostage to this movement that Trump's created and he's going to hold that over them. And that's why you can't, there is no bipartisanship. Um, it's got to be holding the 50 votes together. I mean, again, part of the problem is they have to govern. You have to get these something passed to stop what's going on with the Republicans 
um, taking voting rights away, things like that. They, so to do that, you're going to have to mansion hopefully can find a compromise. But in terms of the upcoming election, um, in terms of letting companies get away with fu- financing the people who supported this stuff, uh, who voted against the commission, who voted to overturn the election. No. Uh, and, and yes, you're either part of that authoritarian movement or you're with all the, all of us. It's, it's Democrats, Republicans, independent, all of us standing against Trump and the Trumpies and the authoritarian movement that they foment. You know, but one of the things though, that Trump was very successful at doing and the Republican party, of course, following suit is branding. I mean, that's what the man really was. Forget about real estate. There's no fucking shit about real estate, despite what he says. He doesn't know how to build for shit. You know, he went ahead. You get a contract. You get a you get a developer and they go ahead. They do it. He would slap his name on it other than a couple of buildings that he actually did. What the man really is, is excellent at branding. And what he also did as it relates to branding is they came up with this new concept of cancel culture. So therefore, if we go ahead and we now say so-and-so corporation, multinational corporation, you can't play both sides of the fence. You can't because the side of the fence that Donald Trump is sitting on is a racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic, it's, it's, that's that's what he stands for. And if right. you and if you believe in the things that Donald Trump stands for, well, I don't want to buy your product. All of a sudden, the Republicans get, the Republicans get up and they start screaming, "No, fuck you, fuck you, Democrats!" All right, this isn't the way that it works. That's cancel culture. You can't tell us who we can and who we can't support. That's not your prerogative, and that's something that the Democrats and you, being a major Democratic strategist, they have to figure out how to get past. It shouldn't be that we have to that we have to reprimand you for being all of these horrific things. You shouldn't, as an organization, as a multinational corporation, you should not want to be involved with individuals that espouse those beliefs. I, I, I don't know why the Democrats have not been able to. Look, the Democrats haven't been able to do a lot of things. But one thing they're not able to do is to figure out how to destroy the Trump branding machine. Well, uh, part of this is what, what I've said. Uh, first of all, I agree. But th- there's a reason. And again, it's the lack of imagination, the lack of understanding how far this could go. I mean, if you say to the average American today, I mean, forget about party or any of that stuff. You say to the average American, oh, my gosh, we're going to have an authoritarian dictator, dictatorship and democracy is going to be gone. Right. They they can't imagine it, it, it's it's it can't happen here thing. So these companies and the the democratic leadership cannot perceive that they're at, that that not taking it on is it, they can't see the threat that threat is not real. Now on the other hand, hey, defund the police. There aren't going to be any cops on the street. They're going to come and get you. The Trump stuff. That that's something Everybody can visualize real quick. And that's what I mean. You, goes, you got it on the you got hit it right on the head. He he is a, just that's what he's really good at. It's also what I think what one of the things I think made the Lincoln Project so important last 
uh, cycle. They're, they're not Democrats. They're, they're just not, you know, and they're, they're ex-Republicans. But they got that and they were willing to try to fight back with that same kind of get it quick, easy to understand and bash away. And, you know, when you win something by whatever, like you said, Michael, you know, less than 50,000 votes in three states, you got to think they, you, anybody who was out there uh, saying walk away from this guy uh, with, you know, had something to do with that. Right. You know, just the way, you know, that's just reality. But now I think the other side of this is now Joe Biden, people have relieved a little bit, the temperature's lowering, which even makes the threat feel further away, right? And so on the other hand, you're right. I think there's the Trump followers are as on fire, if not more so than ever, you know? Is he, you know, is he going to be in return to the presidency in August? The notion, Joe, that people even think that that's possible (laughs) simply because they pick a date. Why did you say August? Why don't you just say September, say July? I mean, say the 4th of July, he's going back in. There's no reason why they picked August other than the fact that they fucking picked August, right? August, okay, August, right? Give us a date. No, we don't have a date, but it's sometime in August. And and I'm just going to finish up, you know, this with by talking about like this branding. Look at even for example, somehow Trump, who hates guns, I don't give a shit what he says. I've been in his office when he was bawling out Don Jr. and Eric for going on that hunting trip where they killed those animals. I think it was in Zimbabwe. I'm not, I mean, he, he, even though, right, even though Donald had a, has a carry, a full carry license um, in this, here in New York, um, he hates guns. And the notion now that he is your Second Amendment president. I am your Second Amendment president. Do you know what has happened over the course of the last four or five years? You can't buy ammunition anymore. Gun sales went through the roof. Why? Because somehow Donald Trump branded himself as the Second Amendment guy that the Democrats want to take away your rights to bear to bear arms. And so what did people do? They decided to start stocking up on ammunition and on different firearms. And this is exactly the point I'm trying to make. And what the Democrats are doing wrong, what we're doing wrong, is we are not combating his ridiculous messages and trying to explain that the man fucking lies the way you breathe. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. And Lincoln Project, as you said, and Midas Touch, they all do really great ads in order to show exactly these yeah. lies. But it's not with the fervor. It's not with the, with the, with the proper message that's coming out. That's just, how I, that's just how I see it. Well, they have the right message, but, uh, but the, you've got the problem of, of people choosing their own platforms that they get their their message and information from. And so like, you know, you can create the you know, Lincoln project can create a great media um, that makes the argument. And um, a lot of us will see it, but it's the wrong people. In other words, like, you know, they're watching Fox or, or Newsmax or whatever, or, uh, you know, thank God they don't have uh, uh, Trump's Twitter feed anymore. Um, but um, it, it's how do we get the messaging? How do they hear Michael Cohen's voice, right? How do they he see 
the Lincoln Project ad or Midas Touch. Okay, so let me give you let me give you an answer. If they would have brought me on, unfortunately, yeah. they couldn't have because yeah. I was sitting in Otisville, the federal penitentiary over there, thanks to Donald getting his pecker pulled by a porn star. But we'll get into that afterwards. What I would have done is I would have gotten these big right. trucks, the one that have the display on the sides, and I would have shown a child down on the ground with a bullet hole. It would have been graphic and said, this should never have happened. And just drive it through, just drive it through neighborhoods. Right. Some, I would put up billboards. I would put up billboards right. very much like the smoking ads. Anybody today, after seeing these people taking their teeth out or the trach, uh, or the trach holes uh, in, their, in their throats, you know, having to clean it out, or somebody who um, does these commercials and then at the end it tells you that they died like three months ago. Anybody that smokes a cigarette has to have their head examined. And I would do the same sort of shock advertising in these, in these communities. Nobody's trying to take away your home. Nobody wants to take away your guns. However, does anybody really need an AR-15 in their house? Do you really need to shoot a deer with an AR-15? Right? Those are military-grade yeah. weapons. The same reason that you're not allowed to have a hand grenade. The same reason that there's no need for you to have a ground-to-air rocket launcher. You just don't need it. You're not allowed to have it. You shouldn't be allowed to have an AR-15. But, Joe, moving on. As a political strategist, you've been on the scene going on about, what, 40 years now? And you've seen the country swing back and forth oh. from the party of Reagan to the triangulated centrist politics of Clinton Democrats back to Bush the second and then to Obama. Now, through all of this, though, despite what seemed like the world ending when Bush beat Gore in the Supreme Court, there was still a sense of continuity that that the system worked and that government by and large was sane. That obviously is now completely gone. The GOP is unrecognizable from its previous self. So first off, what do you think has happened to the GOP that they're willing to go to this really ugly fucking place? Then, in your mind, what's the antidote for this current moment? Is the answer more forceful, progressive legislation that fights fire with fire? Tell my listeners. Well, first of all, I think uh, I'll use Matthew Dowd's uh, term for what the Republican Party's become, black mold. Um, and he says, you can't negotiate with black mold. You have to kill it. Uh, you have to extinguish it. And I think um, the better thing is not black mold, but uh, it's 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 not a party anymore. It's authoritarian movement uh, fueled by Trump um, and enabled by a bunch of cowards, uh, people who are uh, won't challenge it um, because of fear for their political careers. Um, and frankly, the authoritarian movement's gotten so violent, particularly after January 6th, that there's a lot of others, uh, people of goodwill who fear for their lives legitimately. So that party, it, that, that the, the Republican party, as we know it or knew it, uh, over the 40 years that I've been involved and the years you've been involved, Michael, or, is gone. And that, that's the only that that's the problem here. The press sees it, th th thinks there's still two parties. The Michael, I mean, excuse me, uh, Joe Manchin thinks there's two parties. Uh, and like I said, that's created the situation where he's negotiating with hostages. Right. The, the, they're either either because they fear their career, fear their lives, 
there or they're actually part of the authoritarian movement with Trump. Plenty of them. A lot of that 139, a lot of them in the Senate are. So th- there's only one way. It is a massive electoral defeat in 2022 and 2024. I, they have to be crushed electorally in in 2022 and 2024. Uh, I think, and that, that means, it, and look, look at what they're doing to prevent that crushing. They're changing the, the voting laws. Um, again, it's an authoritarian movement by any means that they need. Um, they, 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 you know, lie, um, audits, all the crap that they are doing. Uh, all of us have, to, I think, three, three things. Take no quarter. There is no straddling or thinking there's bipartisanship. It is you're with the authoritarian movement or you're with us. Uh, and, and demand that the company, that everybody out there, and I understand what you're saying, the companies will go, uh, you know, oh, it's can't, the Republicans will scream cancel culture and all that stuff. Screw them, right? You want, you got to decide, you want that 22 or 33 points buying your products or do you want the rest of us? Because we mean it. We will not tolerate you doing the both side, what about crap. And the same thing with getting involved. I mean, Everybody's got to get their oar in the water. And that's whether it's, first of all, sound the alarm, make it clear to everybody, you know, this isn't two parties versus each other. It is an authoritarian movement, a crazy authoritarian movement versus our democracy and all of us. That That's it. So stop thinking about two parties. Start understanding this is an authoritarian movement that we have to stop. One. Two, uh, get involved at your local level um, uh, to take it on, uh, whether it's in a House race or a Senate race or anything, but get because 2022, 2024 are going to matter. And then and then three, hold every leader, company, organization, et cetera, accountable. They cannot hold their feet to the fire. They they must choose that, that, that we have to make the, this whole thing in 2022 and 2024 about the, uh, stopping the autocratic movement led by Trump, and and we are the guardians of democracy. If and that's what it is. And you're either with us or you're against us. And if you're a guardian, you, if you're a company, you got to choose. According to a recent study, 330 million people became victims of cybercrime, and another 55 million had their identity stolen. Hell. I had mine stolen twice. This can cost victims money, but it also takes up a lot of the victim's time. Cybercrime victims collectively spent almost 2.7 billion hours trying to resolve their issues. Your private information is more exposed now than ever. This could leave you vulnerable to cyber threats. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Device security blocks cyber criminals from stealing personal information. VPN with bank rate encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock identity theft protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock as I do, you can opt into cyber safety. 
So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. Joe, I, I got to tell you, um, I've been screaming on the show, on television. I want to dissect what you just said for a quick second. Because something that I've been yelling about sure. and yelling about is to Joe Biden. Start doing things through executive order. Copy what Donald Trump did and get it done instead of trying to think that you're going to have bipartisan, um, you know, uh, um, representatives working together, you know, to put forth a bipartisan bill. It's just not going to happen. And every single time that they get close, it's like, oh, man, fuck, we were like so close. We were like seven people shy. The shit. The chance you're going to get those seven people is slim to none and slim left the building. So, Joe, what the fuck are you doing, man? Right? Come on, dude. Wake up. Do it through executive order. At this point in time, do you realize that they have so few of Biden's people in the administration? Not because they don't want them, simply because they haven't they haven't been um, approved yet. I mean, this is absolutely what. Like I talk right. about this all the time. Michael Carvajal from the um, from the Bureau of Prisons, a Trump appointee. Why is he still running the BOP? I thought I thought one of the things Joe Joe Biden and Kamala Harris said is that they were going to be all over prison reform. Well, how could you be over all over prison reform if the guy who was running it under Trump is still running it under you? Come on, Seichel. Seichel. I mean, that means brains in Yiddish, folks. You know, it's time to yeah. use your brains. You got executive order. Do what Trump did. He turned around and he said, I'm not going to work with the Democrats. I'm not working with them. They, they fucking hate me. Of course we hate you because we're not, looking for, we're not looking for a dictator or a monarch. We were looking for a president. And instead, what did he do? He went ahead. He took his Sharpie. He put his big fat name onto a piece of paper and off they went doing whatever it is that they want. And the second thing that they need to start doing is they really need to start holding, as you stated, holding these individuals accountable for their dirty deeds and their actions. Folks, for God's sakes, every single day we see another fucking thing that Trump did that should put anybody else behind bars. Not just him, but Rudy, Don, Ivanka, Jared, Eric, you know, um, Weisselberg, you you name it. The The whole clan of these Trump grifters we all know the things that they've done, and yet, oh, Merrick Garland, do me a favor. Pick up a phone, call this guy, find out. Let's see if we can get FOIA documents. What do you mean? You're the, you can't get a FOIA document and you're the attorney general? What? I'm lost. Yeah, well, I still think, I, I don't disagree with much of that. The one thing I think the problem is that Biden... Um, all of it is unlike Trump, Biden wants to govern. I, I mean, actually fix that, something, you know, not not dismantle it and tear it apart. Uh, I think he understands. Here, here's sort of the problem. I, I was, let me talk it out with you. Is that um, we did only win by 44,000 votes. Uh, we have the Senate, the tie in the Senate. We have the House by five by five seats. Um, a lot of these places that we have to carry in 2022 uh, 
are places where we did succeed at getting some Republican women, some younger Republicans, some college-educated Republicans um, who do not like the Trump authoritarian movement thing, um, haven't voted for a Democrat ever in their lives, and and respond to a Democrat who wants to reach across party lines and work together to get things done. Even though that world does not exist, and you and I agree it does not exist, that's how a lot of the voters we need to get think, because they cannot perceive of a, you know, a dictatorship actually happening in the United States or, you know, or, or even just a, a you know, a, an autocratic movement seizing power. They just can't perceive of that. So I think Biden understands that it's better for him to project this guy who's willing to give the other side, you know, some ground and come together I agree with you. I don't think it's going to work. They're going to uh, they're never going to get 10 votes on any of this stuff. But I think even the act of doing that when they slap his hand away may get some of those Republicans who aren't part of the Trump thing. You know, and the, you understand that it's not the party's not a monolith. The the crazy Trump authoritarian party part maybe end up being 40 percent of the country. But that other 60 percent, there's 20 points in there that are people, independents, Republicans who want somebody who's going to they don't want just two fight, two side, two crazy sides, the far left and the and the Trump authoritarian, you know, fighting it out. So I think they're trying to walk that. I actually think he's done a pretty good job of that so far. But it does mean that there's other Democrats, groups like Lincoln Project, Midas Touch, uh, organizations out there. It's why your show, uh, uh, that trippy show, um, it's, you know, these different channels that can, that can be that hold the feet to the fire piece of this. And hopefully, you know, the New York Southern district and some other people come online here at some point. But that's not supposed to be the DA is going to do their job with the attorney general here in New York, Georgia attorney general, the, you know, the DA in Washington, DC, they're all going to do their job, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point is I agree that Joe is trying to be a healer, not a divider like what Trump was. And I'm trying to say, If you try to fight Donald Trump, who is a bully, Trump is a bully. The only way to deal with somebody like him is you got to put him down. You got to you got to do things that are going to destroy Trumpism, this cult of Donald Trump. And if you're looking to win the 2022 election, that's what you need to do. You can't rely solely upon the DAs and the attorney generals and so on to do what he should be doing. For God's sakes, as I was saying, he doesn't even have all of his people confirmed yet. Why? I don't know, because the Republicans don't want them confirmed. Well, you you got to have your people in position if you're going to be able to make the progress that we're all looking for. And I believe that the f- the fact that Joe is taking this kumbaya stance, I think he's turning off a lot of Democrats. Um, 
I, my, myself included, I still want him to succeed. Don't get me wrong. I wanted Trump to succeed. Right. Anybody that wants the president of the United States, regardless of whether you're Republican or Democrat, you're the same right. stupid ass that gets onto an airplane that's angry at the industry and says, I hope the plane crashes. That's how stupid that you are. I want the president right. to succeed yeah, because is. then the country succeeds. Then we all succeed. But without, doing, without doing what that's right. Trump did— which is executive order. You got to take apart what Trump started to create after he dismantled stuff well, from the Obama administration. He actually created nothing. And that's why it shouldn't be that difficult. And that's what I really believe that, that Joe needs to do. But I just want to move on for one more second, Joe. In a prescient 2011 sure, speech at the South by Southwest Interactive Conference in Austin, Texas, now you predicted that the web would kill the two-party system. That, and I quote, some underdog candidate is going to seize on social media tools in ways that no one has ever thought of. It turns out that underdog was Donald J. Trump, and the social media was Cambridge yeah. Analytica and Facebook. Discuss with me how you think your prognostication holds up as the GOP, you know, tweeters on implosion and our political system is held hostage by all of these algorithms that reward the most extreme positions. Uh, unfortunately, I think I was right. Uh, and I tell you, Michael, the thing that scared me the most. Uh, very early on, uh, you know, in the Dean campaign back in 2004, we had created a thing called uh, the Dean for America blog, uh, where uh, about 650,000 people uh, could come on this platform that we had created, where Howard Dean or myself would post something in the morning, all our followers out there, all 650,000 of them online would comment and then we would prod them and Michael, that's a great idea. And, you know, and, 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 and basically call them out and, um, uh, and, and make other people aware of what John or Michael or Mary had said. And, and, and it was, it was a pretty amazing thing. The energy that it created, the deep connection between Howard and that individual, those individuals on that platform, the Dean for America blogger, myself. Um, and no one ever did it again. No one. Not Obama. Everybody went like, oh, man, that campaign was great at raising money. We should use the Internet to raise money. The one when I woke up and saw the Trump campaign and his use of Twitter, and one day I w realized Twitter's his Dean for America blog, the entire platform of Twitter. And let's just take that one for a second. He's posting zillions of people are, yeah, cheering him on and saying, then he'd, they'd call him out and, um, you know, or, or flag a, a supporter. And it was a direct communicate. Those people felt the direct communication between Donald Trump and themselves. That's a very powerful thing. He's only, he was the only campaign i've ever seen do what what we were doing in 2004 and by the way you're right between 2004 and 2016 look the damn iphone didn't get launched until 2007 it didn't exist all these other platforms all the other tools that we were using with only 650,000 people on something we had built 
Well, shoot, by 2016, with the data analytics, with Twitter being his personal blog and them letting him do it, I mean, literally turn their entire platform into his Trump for America blog was, and when I saw it, I just was, holy shit. People do not understand what we're up against. He, he could take this thing um, back then. Um, and I still think that, that, that one of the most important things that's happened, at least so far, is uh, you know limiting and taking him off those platforms. Um, and yeah, oh, cancel culture, the whole thing. Well, I'll take it. I'll take the cancel culture uh, if it means he doesn't have those platforms because that direct connection is unbelievably powerful. And he's the only person or campaign, whether they stumbled onto it, got it, you know, whatever. He, he, you know, his instinct uh, on stuff like that is, is, uh, is yeah, second, you know, it's second to none. It, it, it's, it's really yeah, second, yeah, to second to none. Yeah. That's what I mean. So he definitely got that. He, it may have been, he craved the adulation of that direct connection. And so that made him really good at craving more and creating more. But he was really the best I've ever seen. Um, and with tools that I never imagined would be so powerful uh, by, you know, within a decade of, of when I we were using the real primitive stuff, they had amazing tools yeah. that they now, could use. Joe, many things, as you had just said, you know, has changed in politics and You've said that one of the biggest changes in politics, especially at the primary level, was the rise of small-dollar money. The ability for insurgent or populist candidates outside the favor of the party establishment to fund their elections um, has enabled an entirely new grassroots organization. Discuss with my listeners, if you would, the good and bad of this change and how it has created our current political reality. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, um, you know, it started where there was only big money in politics, you know, people who could write big checks. Uh, and actually, that's what we were up, what we kind of pioneered in 2004 in the Howard Dean campaign was the we were the first campaign. To, I mean, others had, McCain had done a little bit of it um in 2000 uh in 2000 i think but it wasn't very successful it was still you know something sort of a, a you know a, a gimmick people thought um and we actually got uh uh you know we're, no one in the establishment of the democratic party was going to fund howard dean that no way that wasn't going to happen so out of necessity we had to build this online, how do you, you know, raise small dollars? And we did, and it succeeded. And we broke Bill Clinton's record. Bill Clinton at that point had owned the record uh, for the most money uh, raised in a quarter by a Democrat. You know what he said at Michael? He set that record it, uh, when he ran against Bob Dole for reelection. He didn't set it when he was running the first time in 92. He, he, he set that record in 96. We broke it as this little dinky, insurgent campaign we broke bill clinton's record um and then of course obama came along running against the clintons who were supported by the you know the establishment and the party and he crushed them three million people gave him a half a billion dollars online what's happened though is that's become its own kind of 
you know, I thought it would free people up. It would, people would have, uh, you know, bottom-up power uh, over over the the big donors. And, and that to some extent, that's absolutely true. But the other thing it did was um, the more intense um, and uh, out on the edge or edginess of your rhetoric and comments the more small dollars on, on either the right or the left you you can raise. Um, and so I think what that's created in a lot of ways are, are candidates who play more to the fringe of their party in a lot of cases uh, or to, to, to people who have the wrong, um, you know, you play on their fears to give them to give to you. Right. Uh, and Trump was excellent to that. Right. So, so, he was he was great at it. He was great at it. And let me tell you why. Because I remember sitting inside his office with guys like Brad Parscale. And at that time, Jared had joined into the campaign. You know, he wasn't there at the very beginning. He actually didn't think Trump had a chance. He didn't. Ivanka, Don, Eric, they came to my office telling me to get the father to quit because it was destroying the business. But Trump sat down and he had an ideology. And what was this ideology? It was to get this silent majority financially invested into the campaign. Because if you could financially get somebody invested into the campaign, you can guarantee that that person wants the payback of their investment, meaning Trump to become president. Therefore, they would get out and they would vote and you know, it was only later on did the grifter in chief decide he was going to fuck over his own supporters and put a box in that says that right, it's yeah, not yeah, going to yeah. be a recurrent, um, you know, withdrawal from your account, right? Though he has to give most of that money back. But everybody was talking about how, you know, Barack Obama raised, right. uh, you know, uh, a half a billion dollars, right, from his. Uh, Trump raised $250 million just yeah, by getting absolutely. his ass kicked off Twitter. Right. right. So this is this was his ideology all along. I get you invested no matter how I do it, whether right. it's with this racist, sexist uh, rhetoric uh, and so on. Or right. I just do it based upon, you know, the fact that I'm going to fix this country. I'm going to do this. I'm going. And the funny thing is 74 million people fell for it again after four years. If you can if somebody can tell me what Trump actually accomplished just name just name one thing that he actually accomplished other than taking well, that's what things he apart taking things apart and evidently a lot of those people wanted exactly that right the the you know government uh, you know etc but that's my point so what i it, it, i saw it as is it, that it was going to increase insurgencies the ability to raise money online was going to increase insurgencies and um what i what i didn't See, I mean, this is again back, you know, back when I was talking about this in t- 2011. What I didn't see then was that those insurgencies would be would, would increasingly become more radical, if, if I'm making any sense, or or appear to you know appeal to the worst instincts in people: fear, racist, xenophobic. You know, again, that you could that an insurgency would be able to be fueled by that because it attract would attract small enough you know you don't need that many people you only need like i said you we, you and i just talked about it barack obama had 3 million people give him a half a million half a billion dollars well there's 300 million people in this country so 3 million is not that big a deal i mean but it, it, it can create a president well guess what trump figured that out too 
Uh, and, and so. Yes, and it, and it did. But but Joe, yeah, that's Trump's ideology, right? Is to it's to play yep. to the worst of human beliefs, right? To to these to these traits. And what did he do? It's exactly why he would not denounce David Duke and white supremacy because there was still, and in his mind, it didn't matter if they amount to. A million people or a hundred thousand people. He doesn't look at it that way. Everything right. with Donald is transactional. I am not going to shit on David Duke because if I do that, I lose that sector. Not knowing how many people fall into that sector, but what he realized is that there might not be people who are white supremacist, you know, um, KKK carrying members, but they still have that. They still have that racist, Archie Bunker type of belief system. And here, the president of the United States, or a guy who wants to be president of the United States, has that same sort of ideology. And so he was playing right. to the worst basic instinct he he, of these and individuals. And he knew there was money there, too. Uh, I mean, that those people would give money to somebody who would yes. stop. Those people from taking over, whoever those people were that he was playing, playing them for. Um, and that's what I'm saying. I, I knew that, uh, again, going back to that 2011 at Southwest, South by Southwest, uh, I had I'd understood, I think, that insurgencies would end up destroying both parties eventually. Um, uh, and but I didn't realize it would be by, you, you know, somebody is. Uh, with such a dark uh, uh, insurgency as Trump's turned out to be and, and still exists and is still building, I think. When it comes to therapy and psychiatry, getting the help you need has never been so simple. When you're able to access your provider from the comfort of your device, it means therapy can be on your schedule. And alleviating the wait times to get an appointment or the travel time to an office can free up time for the rest of your life. Talkspace is so convenient and accessible, it helps me feel supported around the clock. Talkspace lets you send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the Talkspace platform 24-7. With Talkspace, you set goals with your therapist and they hold you accountable and make sure you're really progressing. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and be a guiding light. Talkspace is a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7, and they'll engage with you daily, five days a week. Plus, Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience in over 40 specialties, including depression. Anxiety, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, relationship issues, food and eating, and so much more. Finally, Talkspace is secure and private, using the latest end-to-end bank rate encryption technology to store client information and complying with the latest HIPAA regulations. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code COHEN to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's COHEN and Talkspace.com. 
And that's why I always say my biggest fear is that he has now set the playbook for the next Donald, the Donald 2.0, a guy who's smarter, who's richer, who's more sinister and right. devious. Hard to believe, but they are out there. And now he's given them a playbook. But there's, there's another thing that sits on my, on my head, and it really, truly angers me. I mean, really, truly angers me. In a recent House vote to award yeah. the Congressional Medal to law enforcement who responded to the January 6th Capitol riot. I mean, this really fucking gets me. Yeah. There were 21. I mean, can you imagine? 21 House Republicans who voted against the measure. What's the political gain for them in doing so? Or have they so painted themselves into a corner with their refusal to acknowledge the January 6th insurrection that anything that paints that day in dark colors further hurts their narrative? I, I think Do, it's just discuss uh, this with me. Well, first of all, I agree with you. Second of all, yeah, I think they are so far deep down that rabbit hole that it never happened, that it was tourist. uh uh, that you know, uh, uh, and, and that uh, that they can't. If you think it was tourism, uh, tourists walking through the hall, then how is it uh, possible to uh, honor police for their courage? I mean, that's some, it, it, it's 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 a it's a it, it, it's a pretzel game that they've walked themselves into. Those twenty one, um, and it, it, it's insanity. I mean, it's absolutely everybody who saw it. Um, you, again, that's the thing that that I think, you know, it's not a one-off, people. Wake up. This is going to continue to happen. Uh, the FBI put out a, a, a warning a few, like a few days, I think last week, um, saying that they now expect an, an increase uh, in QAnon violence uh, out there uh, because of all this. So... Um, and these guys, again, by these votes, are enabling it. We have to have leaders that will stand up against it. And, yeah, that means, um, uh, you know, uh, there, there are people I don't agree with on a lot of things. Uh, uh, but they've got the courage to stand up and realize right now uh, we've got to stop this autocratic movement and you've got to stand up to Trump. Um, and so, you know, when a Liz Cheney does that, uh, more power to her. And, and I, I think uh, 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 they deserve some credit, but there aren't enough of them. <laughs> it's just amazing. I mean, you, and, and these 21, I mean, they should all be out of they should all be out of office tomorrow, except they're in safe districts that they that where they drew the lines for themselves. I mean, this is part of the the whole thing. It's like when Republicans have control of drawing the lines. I mean, this, the two state houses and the governor, they draw the lines and the governor signs the bill. When Democrats have control of the state house, Senate and the governor's office, we create an independent commission to, to draw fair lines, which is insane. This is what I'm saying. This is the, the whole and the, the Republicans have been doing this for 30 years while the Democrats have been doing independent commission stuff. And then along comes Trump who takes over the apparatus and you know what's going on now in some of these county uh, uh, Republican County committees, they're throwing out everybody and putting in QAnon and Trump vote, you know, Trump supporters. Uh, the, the conspiracy theory leaders are becoming, 
are becoming the officials in the local county committees and, and are going to come up. They'll be in there for years coming up. Um, this is going to be a long, long fight, not just not just to stop Trump now, but to stop his the movement that he's created and launched uh, from ever, ever becoming a majority. It's, don't forget that he also put in a whole ton of federal court judges yeah. uh, that you know he got off of the heritage list or one of those others. But these Republicans, these are the same jerk-off Republicans when I went before the House Oversight Committee that sat there, each and every one of them did nothing but denigrate me instead of asking a single question. Not one of them asked a fucking question about Donald Trump. Not not one. So how does like I said, going back before, how did how should Biden expect that any one of these fools, these fucking jerk offs, not one of them will vote with a Democrat and the thought that you're going to have um, seven more that are going to join. Look, we know Mitt Romney, you know, um, is an outlier. We know that, right. you know, you have, um, you know, several Republicans that are these outliers and Collins, Mikowski, and so yeah. they call them the rhinos. You know, right. the, you already know who's potentially yeah. on your side. The one, when they say, oh, we need only seven more, they know they're not getting, forget about seven. They're not even getting one. And so yeah. yet they continue. This is why I keep saying what Biden needs to do is start doing things by executive order because that's the only way that we're going to get things, you know, moving well, here. The, but the, the one thing he is doing, and I checked on this, he's actually uh, ahead of Trump's pace for appointing judges, for getting judges through. And I think one of the things he may be doing is focusing on, you know, you say, like, well, how come this guy's still there from the Trump administration? They may be taking, getting... Every Senate opening, I mean, every minute there is to prove something of somebody. And I think it's judges right now. Just get as many of these judges in. And then it, one, it, one part should not negate the other. The, you yeah. know, the, the country, the government does not turn around and say, well, we need judges. And then after judges, we're going to go to ambassadors. After yeah. ambassadors, we're going to go to say it doesn't yeah. work that way. You know, we have, as you know, do like I do, you have you have the, you know, the. All the positions filled before you even get there. And people should, yeah. within the 120 days, they should at least be able to fill those. But moving, moving on, Joe, Terry McAuliffe's win in the Virginia governor's Democratic primary was a surprise to many pundits in that he's a known Washington creature with an exceedingly centrist record who was running in a diverse crowd of left-leaning progressives. Nevertheless, being that known quantity seemed to cast him as safe. Now, what you referred to in a recent Mother Jones article as the same old shoe impulse, discuss with my listeners for a moment what the Virginia primary says about the larger electoral map and how that may help or hurt Democratic candidates in 2022 midterms. Well, this gets back to what I'm saying about about Biden, Michael, is that what I, what I saw with Jerry Brown and the race I did in uh, California in 2010 for governor um, after eight years of Arnold Schwarzenegger, the state now uh, he couldn't run again, obviously, uh, because of term limits, uh, the two term limit. Uh, I thought, oh, my gosh, Jerry Brown's been. Governor in seventies, two terms as Attorney General, two terms as Secretary of State, multiple terms as Mayor of Oakland. 
Um, and we're running against uh, Meg Whitman, the CEO of, of eBay, popular company, um, coming from, you know, a, 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 a very highly regarded business leader. Um, and when we went into the focus groups, people were like, I don't want her. And we were like, why? We already had a celebrity governor, didn't know what he was doing. I want, just give me an old shoe. That's where, that's where I went with, that's where I got the old shoe thing from. Well, they just wanted somebody who knew how to turn the lights on and get things done in the state house. And I think that's why when Biden started running, I said, you know, I think Trump has gotten the country to this, enough of the country, barely, to the same place in four years, where they've got this guy, celebrity, becomes president, doesn't know what he's doing. Just give me somebody who can turn, I just, which, just give me somebody who can turn lights in the Oval Office. Give me an old shoe. And I don't mean that to denigrate Biden, but I think that's why every time you saw a Kamala Harris or a, or a Yang or somebody sort of get a spark and catch, the party looked, said, nah, and kept going back to the old to, to Biden, somebody they knew could do that. I think that's what we're seeing with McAuliffe. I mean, with some of these early wins, you're starting to see that same thing. That, I think, is why it is important for Biden to to not to to find that that common ground place that he's in and not overshoot it. In other words, I think the the people that there are people, Republican women out there, suburban Republican women, younger Republicans who are not uh, who just cannot stomach the racist and, and homophobic stuff um, because they that's not you know that that's not how they came. Uh, of age, you know, as they're coming of age, and college-educated Republicans, those people are gettable because of who Biden is and that persona that he's projecting in contrast to Trump. That that doesn't change what you're saying. I mean, about the reality of getting anything done, thinking there's actually that there is a chance to do that in terms of governing and finding people across the aisle in the House or the Senate. I'm with you. So I think that's part of this kabuki dance um, that they're trying to figure out. So far, I actually think he's done a good job. I'm not disagreeing with you about how they have to get more done um, and and not spend so much time. I think they've oh, the, the one thing I'd say is they you could spend uh, way too much time trying to get bipartisanship where there isn't going to be any. I think they've played that string out on infrastructure or uh, voting rights. And so, okay, at some point you throw up your hands and say, I tried to do it and now I'm doing this executive order or we're going to pass this on our own. Um, I think they've done enough of that where most of the American people would look like, yeah, they sure tried on on infrastructure, you know, and the and, and when, like when you have McConnell come out like the day after Manchin says, hey, we here's a a, a way to come across the aisle on voting rights and McConnell within minutes just goes, not nah, never going to happen. I'm not, I'm not. You know. I mean, you know, Mitch McConnell's already said that he's not going yeah. to allow Biden to pass any meaningful legislation, yeah. if any at all. Yeah. We're back now to it's the a Republican. Right. Yeah. We're back to win. We win. 
that means you lose. If you right. lose, yeah. that means that we win. And yeah. it doesn't really work that way. I mean, look, let's take a look just to see what happened recently with Joe Biden meeting with Vladimir Putin. I would have liked to have heard a little bit more. But Biden came out, in my opinion, looking strong. And I yeah. think that the young generation, especially the young college Republican, they want to see almost like a reality-based television program of their president they want to see joe come out there right and start kicking ass they're tired of the country and the world you know looking at us like we're like we're weak everybody wants the action a lot of people miss the action believe it or not and i don't understand that but you know joe as we're winding down the hour i have just really one question uh left for you here switching gears The FBI issued a threat assessment recently that raised the possibility of violence from followers of QAnon, who would take matters into their own hands now that the prophecies of Q have not come to pass, which makes sense because they're fucking insane. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They're just fucking insane. And I'm curious of what you make of QAnon, not so much as an ideology, but its growing power within the GOP and the way its own propaganda has begun to influence official GOP talking points. Has there ever been a time in history when a doomsday movement has crossed into the official two-party system? What's your thoughts on that? No, there has never been. Uh, and that's why that's the real threat. A doomsday cult has taken over one of the parties. That's why there is no way to negotiate with even the Romneys, right? Because they're, they're, they're in that party and they're held hostage to it. I think the, the scarier things have been like the, the couple of polls recently. One had 20% of the American people, and this isn't QAnon, I mean, there's a ton of QAnon in here, but 20% of the American people think, uh, using the, the pollster used QAnon terminology said there's a storm coming, coming that will sweep out the elites and install the rightful leaders. 20% of Americans believe that, 20%. And by the way, uh, the next one should get really scary. 15% of Americans believe that they have to resort to violent may have to resort to violence to make it happen. Okay, fifteen percent. Now that's uh, and you know that's all. These again, all language coming out of QAnon. Even if it's ten percent, even if it's five yeah. percent, oh, it's an enormous. It's an enormous yeah. number. Yes, that's it's what I'm an saying. enormous number. You, you, everybody go well. Well, shoot, we you can get fifty percent of the vote against that easy. Yeah, you can. That's not the problem. I mean, that it could be. Look how close Trump came. Forty fourth. 44,000 votes, right? You you know, when when they get into power, by the way, they win the House, it's not going to be McCarthy. It's going to be somebody at QAnon. I mean, you know, it'll be a Jim Jordan. I don't know who, but it's not going to be any, it's not going to be Mitch McConnell. That's what I'm saying. It'll be, this is going to be a movement that takes power uh, and is willing to use force to do it. And, People say, oh, that'll never happen. January 6th happened, which is why they're trying to erase it, which is why they don't even, 21 of them don't even um, vote to give the, the, the officers. Uh, uh, disgraceful. It's, it's just disgraceful. True, truly disgraceful. Yet, yet, Trump, yet Trump will give the medal of, the, the, what is it, the Medal of Freedom or uh, to yeah. Rush Limbaugh as an yeah. example, right? I mean, it's just these people put their lives on the line for individuals 
and half of whom wouldn't do a thing within which to help them. You know, I want to ask you one question before we before we go, because you are a Democratic strategist extraordinaire. And just here in New York, obviously, you know, I want I'd like to get your prediction. Andrew, the idiot Giuliani has now announced that he's intending on running oh, for God. governor of New York. <laughs> What's your prediction on that? Do you think he even gets the Republican nomination? Uh, no. I, I mean, I find that hard to believe, but I, that wouldn't shock me. Him getting the Republican nomination would not shock me, given how how crazed the Republican, what's, you know, what All the right. Republican so Joe, party has become. So, Joe, here we go. Ready for this one? If Andrew Giuliani actually is going to get the Republican nomination, I want you to come down to New York, represent me as my strategist. I'm going to run against Andrew Giuliani for governor. Okay. How's that? Okay. You'll take yeah. on that job? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And we're going to talk about it a little more on your podcast, That Trippy Show. But I'm dead ass serious. If this idiot, this this golf instructor thinks that he has the right to be governor of New York. You know, you know what my biggest fear, and I've said this on a recent podcast as well, my biggest fear, I believe that Trump has pocket pardons for everybody sitting out there. Now, of course, as we know, that's only federal, so that doesn't apply to state, the, right. to the DA and to the yeah, AG yeah, judge. Yeah. If Andrew Giuliani became governor, he can actually pardon the same individuals from state crimes. Thereby, so, everybody yeah. getting off. Yeah. I, look, I, I, it would not shock me for him to run, obviously is. Uh, it would not shock me, given the state of the party, you know, whether uh, he could pull that off or not. But him becoming governor, no way. Not going to happen. The state's... Right, that, well, that's that's because, you'll probably be, stop him. You'll I'm stop be, it. I, I, will, I will stop him and I will be governor. Well, we'll get you over on that trippy show. Uh, and any of your listeners who want to uh, follow us over there in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll get the word out to them. But uh, uh, we've had some good shows, and I really enjoyed being on this one with you. Joe, thank you very much. It's always good to see you, my friend. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, stay safe. You uh, too, man. Make sure. Yep. Just make sure um, you keep doing what you're doing. Really appreciate you coming on. And now for today's mea culpa. Speaking with Joe Trippi, I am reminded of how much damage we did to the political system in the early days of the campaign without realizing what we were doing. Part of presenting Donald Trump to the world was presenting the lie that best suited the reality we hoped to create. Donald Trump does not exist at face value. There is no Trump with our hyperbole. Everything about him is a fucking myth. So, depending on who we spoke to on the telephone, Trump was the billionaire builder, the populist political fighter, the truth-sayer, or a mixture of one or all of these attributes all simultaneously. Never once did we give a straight answer, and that's before we started doing anything particularly nefarious. Once we started with the birth of crap, that's when I knew we were in uncharted territory. At least when peddling Trump there was always a kernel of truth in the larger bullshit sandwich that we were serving to reporters. But birtherism was pure, unadulterated bullshit. He made it up and ran with it because it pulled well. All the evidence and quotes, both on and off the record, were all made up by Donald Trump. There was no purpose to any of it other than to appeal to the racist and nativist fantasies of an ugly silver of the electorate who desperately wanted to believe what they were being told. 
it played into every hateful instinct they had about the man they wished was not the president. Fast forward nine years, and what started as a racist joke at CPAC has spawned a failed presidency and a MAGA constituency consisting of tens of millions of voters. They have taken their hate for Obama and put it on steroids and used it to define an entire political ideology based on white victimhood and grievance. But at its heart, one thing remains. The lie. What started as birtherism begat thousands of small and medium-sized whoppers told by the president on a daily basis, followed by the big fucking lie. It's what ties together an entire generation of hate ignorance and fear and is threatening to tear apart the entire fabric of this nation in the process. I wish I could go back in time and have stopped birtherism before it even started. Had I possessed the courage and presence of mind, I could have spared President Obama, as decent a man who has ever held the office, the indignity of having to show his birth certificate on live television. Moreover, I could have stopped the lie itself because it was the lie that created Trump, the lie that created Trumpism, and it's the lie that continues to propel him forward today. Stop the lie and you stop the man. I wish it was that easy, but I'm afraid we may have gone way beyond that point. And let's hope I'm wrong. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. Hey, movie lovers, who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts. Ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. Don't cry.